Oh, very good. You have a uh, a shrine to your dead trees in your room. Nice. Well, it's not a shrine, more of a depository. Oh. So, I guess we should start with some follow-up. Let's start with some follow-up. And as I'm in charge of the emails, we've got two since the last podcast. Oh, very good. The first one is from Tom Cohen, and he's a, a listener, I guess, and a viewer of your videos. Uh-huh. And he said, I just wanted to let you know that your videos and podcast have both helped me research and inspired me to pursue my hobby of game design and creation. He's working on a build to procedurally generate galaxies and solar systems and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is, that's brilliant to hear, you know, your your product is going out there, man. Your product yeah. is going out there and making change in the world. I know, yeah, I know, right? Uh, that's, really, that's really cool. That's proper amazing. Like, every so often I get people write comments like that back at me, and I'm like, what? This is mind-blowing, like, it's crazy. That That is very cool. We wish so, you, Tom Cohn, we wish you all the best with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. But what he says in the email is, um, if you would like to, me to send you a dev build, please let me know. So if you want to have a go on it, he'll uh, he'll send you one on. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just um, if it's Mac compatible is the only issue. Oh, of course. Because I only well, run Macs. If it's not Mac compatible, send it to me and I'll I'll hog it and not tell Edgar anything. <laughs> So yeah, Tom, definitely uh, send us something and one of us will be able to play it. That'd be awesome. For sure. Keep it up, man. I'm really looking forward to seeing some of this. I'm, that's a really good way to start the show. I'm really happy with that. It's really cool. <laughs> Cheers, Tom. <laughs> so anything else in the mailbag there, Bill? Um, yeah, we've got one from Danny Delaluz. Okay. Who has a number of questions about rings. So like Saturn rings, which I guess would be the, the iconic example, mm. would it be possible for an Earth-like planet to have rings is the, the thrust of his question. Oh, now, now this is interesting. There's two questions uh, I get asked an awful lot, mm-hmm. and they nearly always pertain to, like, moons and rings. People want right. to know lots about moons and lots about rings. So these are two topics that I need to badly make videos on. So I'm not going to say too much, Danny, if that's okay, because I want to research it fully and make a proper video on it. But a sort of TLDR would be that an Earth-like planet could have rings, but they'd probably be geologically unstable. Okay, that's um, that's interesting because he mentions about um, about moons here as well. You see, it's like, always the moons and the rings. Always the moons and the rings. <laughs> His question is, if we did have rings due to debris left after the forming of the planet, would we even need a moon? My I, question there is, if you had moon and rings, would you have a situation where like, the tidal forces of the moon would, would pull the rings out of orbit? Like with Jupiter and the, and the asteroid belt. You know, if you, had, if you had something that was orbiting at half the speed of the moon then would that be pulled away by the, by the moon's gravity and then you'd have, like, gaps in in the in the rings? Possibly. In the, we have in the ga- orbital neighbourhood. Yeah, possibly. We have uh, gaps like that in Saturn's rings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if they're made by resonances or by the actual moons just clearing out stuff from being in the rings. Yeah. Um, I'd have to go look that up. I, resonances, I, that was the word I meant to ask, yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine it could be both, both resonances and clearing out. Mm-hmm. Say the question again to me. What's this question again? Well, his question was, if we did have rings due to debris left after the forming of the planet, would we even need a moon? You see, now, I think he's coming from the sense that, do we need a moon to, like, stabilise the planet? Right, okay. And things like that. And then my gut reaction, but again, I would like to research this and make a proper video, is yes. Because I don't think the rings would supply enough, like, gravity to be able to bolster a planet. 
And also, if they were a ring around the planet, then they'd share the same centre of gravity, so they wouldn't pull on the planet much. Mm, how do you mean? If it's a ring around the planet, then the average... See, it's a spherical planet, right? And it's a circular ring. Then the, the centre of gravity of the, of the body that is just the rings would be the same place as the centre of gravity of the planet. Assuming the rings are homogenous. Yeah, but I mean, they're, 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 they're going to be homogenous... Like, they're going to be roughly circular. Like, you're not going to have, like, a 20-degree a gap or something. Gaps are going to be... Um, they're, not, they're not going to be radial. They're going to be in zones yeah. equi- equidistant from the centre. And also, there's the problem as well that when we think of rings, we think of Saturn's rings, and we just assume, oh, an Earth-like planet could have those rings. Like, an Earth-like yeah. planet is going to have, like, a fraction of those things. Yeah, of course. If, if at all. So it's going to be really, really minuscule. And therefore won't have any great stabilizing effect the way a moon does. Mm-hmm. In general, it's pretty much impossible to set up an Earth-like world without a moon. You really need a moon to keep things stable and like to lock the tilt, the axial tilt of the planet in. Otherwise, it wanders, and then you get like like drastic season changes and like ice ages everywhere. So, yeah, rings are not moons are really important. So yeah, Danny, uh, there will be a full video. In fact, it's on my... I keep a list of, like, the next five or so videos I need to make. Oh. Oh. <laughs> trade secrets. Trade secrets, yeah. And every time I complete a video, a new one gets added to the bottom of the list. Rings is in the top five. So they w- there will be a ring video within five videos. All going right. well. And you said the other thing people are asking about always is moons, which is uh, very topical for right now. It is. Yes, did you partake in some uh, supermoon watching last night? I I did. Yeah. Um. It didn't seem much bigger than usual, but it was certainly uh, cool looking. Or certainly cool and rusty and red. Mm, I I missed it. Oh, did you? Yeah. I oh, was too. You're bit... the spaciest of all the spaces. I am the spaciest of all the spaces. Yeah. I unfortunately lost track of time. I was playing uh, computer games. <laughs> I it was terrible. I started. Oh, damn it, Edgar! I, I started gaming last night at like uh, like ten or something, and then I was like, ah, it'd be grand. I'll put it at like an hour or two, half one. I think was when the moon was meant to be at its uh, brightest. So I was like, I'll go out then. It was and, like half three. Oh, was it half? Oh, sugar because oh, oh, when, it, when it was meant to be at its, at, at its most bloody rather than the brightest. Oh right! Oh, I read I half one. Mm. But anyhow, so I was like, I in my head, I was like, go out for half one, Edgar, and then. <laughs> And then I was like, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll just game away. And then next thing you know, it was four. And I was oh, like, dear. I was like, oh, okay, I should probably go to bed now. I got to get up in the morning and talk to Bill. <laughs> so I missed, not only did I miss the, the, the blood moon or the super moon, I also am wrecked. So I come to you lacking in, in space watching and in sleep. Well, I, I'm kind of lacking in sleep as well because I got a few hours either side of the moon watching, but it was still visible at four, dude. You see, I didn't even bother because I thought I was three hours too late. I was like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just go to bed now. Ah, uh, Edgar. <laughs> uh, it was awful. I'm so ashamed. Although, um, NASA is has their big announcement today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, their big mystery announcement. Ooh. What's it going to be? Well, I think the gossip around the internet is that they're going to announce that there's water on Mars. Cool. Which would be very cool. I think a few kind like of... Like surface water. Like, I would imagine that's it. Um, otherwise, hmm. there'd be no reason to merit all this like crazy build-up. Yeah. Um, because the build-up's been intense this time. Um, there's a few very liberal people who are saying that they might have discovered life. Nah. Yeah, that's that's a long shot. Like, like it could, could well be possible they might have found I mean, microbes. I hope so. I hope so too. Yeah, definitely. I thought I thought you didn't hope so. 
you microbes, man, are as long as you don't come back, right? Don't bring the, the like the aliens back to Earth. They can stay over there. That's totally cool. <laughs> no, but uh, I, yeah, I think it's a long shot. I don't think we're going to find any. They're not going to announce life essentially. Um, so I imagine water. Um, on the topic of Mars, I um, I just read The Martian by Andy Weir. I think is the guy. This is the thing. It's going to be made into a movie. Yeah, the, the movie is out very shortly, actually, starring Matt Damon. Okay, right. Now, can I can I interrupt you? Yeah, of course. This is actually something I had considered putting in the show notes and discussing this episode. Mm-hmm. So we might actually just like detour here from follow up for a little bit and go with this, right? Sure. What the, first of all, what did you think of the book? It, the prose was kind of nothing in particular. Like it was good workmanlike prose. Okay. He really likes to show his work. Like, it goes into a lot of detail of, like, the precise things he did. And, oh, I needed, you know, 300 litres of water for this much. And I needed, you know, however many volts to do this thing. But I found that kind of endearing. You know, I like... There's something kind of charming about someone, like, like being really eager to show off all the research they did. Um, overall, I enjoyed it, yeah. All right. So, this book has been the bane of my existence, right? Good. Because everyone, people who watch Artifacts and, like, real-life people who I interact with have been like, oh, you should read this book. This is totally up your alley, right? And I am so incredibly against this book. Why? Because of the thing you said there about showing his work. I think that's death for any sort of fictional setting. And I think that's really, really poor world building to have to, like, to want to show all that. Um, It makes sense in the context of of the narrative because it's primarily told through this guy's personal logs, like, the, this guy who's been stranded on Mars, keeping a log of, of what he's been doing to stay alive. No, no, yeah, no, I know the premise. Like, I haven't read the thing, but I, I understand the premise. Yeah. I, 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 I don't like that at all. Like, find a different premise. Like, don't don't bombard the reader with, like, all your, like, numbers. Like, I would never, like, since the world building we did last week, right? Mm-hmm. Where we talk about all the different numbers in our systems, you know? Like, you mm-hmm. know, said orbit is at, you know, 3.95 AU and that's within like 1.4 and all this sort of stuff. I would never put that in a book, you know? I would never, even if, if it was a log entry sort of thing, I would never just like force that on the reader. Those sort of construction things are to be hidden from the reader. You should know them to make the world... That's a consistent. hugely sweeping statement, man. S- yeah, but so, but it's an accurate one. It's not an accurate one at all. I How really is- enjoy it. You're saying that it should be hidden from the reader. I don't think it should. I enjoyed it. Right, okay, now, fine, right? But an awful lot of people, an awful lot of people, like, online are really alienated by it. They're like, I don't want to see, you know, 50 numbers per page. I don't care. Yeah, well, then then it's an aesthetic preference rather than a blanket judgment. I will agree that I'm generalizing, right? But I think that's a good generalization to make. I think one should hide their work in English. I think that's, I think a poor writer would show all the work, you know? I don't think it makes him a poor writer. Okay, maybe not. I haven't read the book, again, so I can't judge his writing, but I think it makes him a poor world builder. I would he's fu- not really, not really a world builder, though. He's just, like, no, he's not like... Well, no, Bill, Bill, he is. It's like a fictional setting on Mars, like, the, everything he says is fiction. Like, it's it's equivalent to the techno babble in, in Star Trek. Like someone it's has to make to all the them. techno babble in, in Star Trek because it's it's like based on actual stuff. Like it's it's more grounded in reality than than Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, but someone has to like like make up all that stuff. You know, like someone has to you know the, he has to come up with all that like all those numbers. 
So it is kind of it's yeah, it's a more realistic version of the techno battle. It's, it's it's engineering. It's speculative engineering, but it's it's not like it's not world building in the, in the same sense of creating a fictional setting. Like a, like a fictional solar system or whatever. Yeah, I know, but world building is kind of a sweeping term. It encompasses lots of. Oh things. yeah, I know, and we, we we've established that in previous mm, in previous mm, podcasts mm. and everything. But I see. I thought you would be very against the Martian. I really did. Why? I thought I thought you'd read it and go, "This is like terrible with all these numbers, all this sort of like world building, uh, like stat building pushed in your face." I thought you'd be like, "Man, you gotta hide that stuff." I, no, God, I'm I'm very opposite to that there's like there's loads of writers that i like that show their work well i can think of like one really obvious example off the top of my head what's the really obvious example neil stevenson oh uh, books name them snow crash which was like a kind of a one of the first kind of post cyberpunk books cryptonomicon which is all about uh, code breaking and and data security the baroque cycle which is historical fiction that i mentioned before about the pirates and philosophers okay so and what's what's his how does he show his world building he he goes on about things a lot. Like he he will have a lengthy digression about Newton inventing calculus. You see that that doesn't that that sounds terrible to me. <laughs> like I I don't like if there's no point to it. Like if it doesn't advance the story, like why do it? Because it's aesthetically pleasing. Not everything needs to be efficient storytelling, man. <laughs> have you ever watched The Godfather? Uh, no. You've, you've never watched The Godfather? I, I, I don't really like gangster films, to be fair. Wow, they, they okay. do They do nothing for me, so yeah. Like, I've seen it in passing, and I know all the sort of, like, pop culture things, like the horse's okay. head and all that. Um, yeah. And I but know what it's about, but... That, that's considered to be, like, one of the greatest films, and it's, like, completely antithetical to a lot of modern ideas about storytelling, that storytelling has to be, um, you know, everything must advance the plot. There's loads of, like, sections in that film that are just just stuff happening and it's really nice like there's a bit where for ages Marlon Brando is playing with his grandson and does nothing to advance the plot it's just it's just a nice little vignette okay you know right fine but in like fantasy and sci-fi sometimes these digressions come off as let me show you all this amazing world I have built and that's really not cool on behalf of the writer sometimes I think a lot of the time might be the correct statement to make there man yeah, but the point I'm making is it's not a blanket truth. A good writer can easily get away with it, and when it's kind of the prem- when it fit- folds in well to the premise of the book, I think it's great. Okay, I I take that point, but I still think it shouldn't be done. In, in my personal opinion, I think it shouldn't be done. If you want to do all that stuff, I think release like a lore thing. You know, write the story of the Martian minus all the numbers, okay, and then release another book that is his logs with all the numbers. But then that book itself would be, like, just numbers, and that would be crap. With no, with no like, oh, framing narrative. I, I totally disagree with you there. I, I, <laughs> like, I, I want to... I re- what I, goes on in your head? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I want to read the book, Bill. Bill, I want to read the book, and I want to be told the story and be... You know, that is my escapism, right? I don't want to sit there and have to try and think about the amount of, like, how many, like, metric liters of water he has, right? What about in Breaking Bad, where he's describing his process, and he talks about the, the science of, of making meth? Okay. Is this, And, like, there's loads, especially in the first season, there's loads of stuff where he, he like, he solves problems with, like, his, his chemical knowledge. Is that not the same thing? No, no, because them talking about science in Breaking Bad is not, like, series-defining. 
okay? Like, anyone you talk to about The Martian, and you were like this as well when we started talking, they go, eh, it's a good book, a lot of numbers though. Like, no one who watches Breaking Bad goes, oh, it's a really good series. They talk way too much about science. Like, there's little, like, you know, interludes into it, definitely, and that's fine. But when it becomes the defining thing about the work, then there's a problem, I think. Okay, you're talking about it being the defining thing, right? Yeah, and well, that's, so- that's- reframed it slightly and so far everyone i've talked to ha- always makes the thing about there's a lot of numbers you know and some people are like like you they're like oh, that's really cool a lot of people are like it's really hard to read because of all the numbers but no one no one goes oh yeah there's hardly any numbers in that book <laughs> you know so but just back on the previous point you said i would love to just read the book of the story of a man trying to survive on mars okay right right and then have his his like his logs published after the book as like an artifact from the world. I would love that. I would be totally on board with the Martian, but the way it's done at the moment, as far as I can tell, is that it's just a world builder showing off. And I don't like that premise. Now I'll read the book, or I might get on an audio fo- uh, audiobook, but I remain very skeptical and very kind of yeah, very hesitant to read this thing. But I, I will go through it. Okay. Anyhow, lengthy digression, eh? <laughs> so where were we? We did, we did the, we did the emails. Yeah, we were going to talk the next on the link on the uh, the schedule was the follow up from Reddit. Oh What's yeah, yeah, happening on the Reddit. Okay, so there's lots to talk about here. Okay, point number one is that we need to give a shout out once again to our resident space cartographer Dominic. Oh, good. Dominic, who um, came up with the plan for mapping galaxies, yeah? Exactly. Hence the resident space cartographer. He is back again, and he has made a stars calculator based on my last video. Oh, sweet. Yeah, which is really cool. It's a really fun little calculator. I'll throw a link in the show notes if people want to mess around with it. Um, We had a bit of back and forth on the Reddit about, you know, how to improve it and things like that. Mm. And an interesting point came up that I want to talk about briefly. And that is the point about units. People don't seem to get these units things, and it it probably is my fault. So I just want to take the time to like really clarify this. There's there's a lot of confusion about what I mean when I write numbers on on the screen in Artifexian. See, I was always of the opinion that world builders always dealt in proportionality, right? Mm-hmm. So when we say, "Oh, I've created a planet that is has a mass of two. Like, that intrinsically applies it is two times the mass of Earth. Okay? Yeah. And if I say, oh, my star has a mass of 1.1, that intrinsically applies that it's 1.1 times the mass of the sun. Yeah. And even though in recent videos I've begun saying, you know, in solar masses or in solar luminosities uh, or, you know, in relation to the sun, people are still missing the point that every number I write on screen is not like a kilogram or a meter it's always in relation to a structure that we know yeah yeah you with me totally yeah you see now see this is obvious to me but like i keep getting comments and emails from people and dominic had a few issues in his calculator as well that we talked about that brought this up i I don't know what it is i think maybe people don't deal with proportionality in school that much and maybe they're not okay with dealing it outside of school you know like, I think people's brains are hardwired to think in kilograms and, you know, meters and not in... In actual scalar units. In actual scalar units, exactly. So I just want to say, like, like on the podcast, that every single number, unless otherwise stated in the videos or on this podcast, is always going to be in reference 
to an object that is like the object we are talking about. Okay. All right. So if we have a planet and it has a circum, it has a circumference of two, that is twice the circumference of Earth. Yes. Okay. I, I'm glad that makes sense. Right. I just want to get it off my chest because a lot, lot of, lot of problems with that. Uh, but I will say as well, my first, no, my fourth video, the stars build video, didn't do anything to help it. I was not good with the units in that video at all, and I think that's sort of exacerbated the problem a bit. But yeah, just wanted, just wanted to get it off my chest, all right? Do you want, do you want to hear something about me forgetting uh, about how to do maths, kind of? Go for it. When I was initially building um, the Handwavia system, there was some specific thing. I, I can't remember exactly what it was now, because it's been, it's been a month or so, but uh, I couldn't get the units to, to match up. And I, ha- ended up, I ended up like with, with ridiculous... Uh, oh, I was trying to work out densities. That was it. I was trying to work out planetary densities. And I had forgotten to directly check the video, the part of the video that talks about densities. And I came up, I ended up having a planet where its density was like 1.4 times its own density. What? And like, I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. I was treating everything as proportional. I was treating the mass and the volume as proportional. But then when I was working out the density, I was including uh, four thirds pi r cubed. So I was oh. re-adding a, a, a non-proportional ele- element to it. Yeah, so when you're working with these things, I know you know this, but just for the listener, is if you're working in proportionality, everything has to be proportional. Yeah. You know, like pi, four over three, any constants at all are going to completely just skew everything. And that's, I think there was a problem in the calculator with, was it, was it density or something? I think it was density. And that sort of issue crept in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, no, check, checking your, your videos was like, oh, well, I do it that way. And I couldn't figure out why the way you did it make sen- made sense. And then I realized that I was I was mixing uh, constants and proportions. Rookie error, Bill. Rookie error. Rookie but, uh, error. But now I've made that rookie error and I've, I've learned from it. Uh, on, a, on another tangent, you want to hear an embarrassing math story on my part? Do I? I forgot how to do basic order of operations. Uh, and I, so I, was, I, was, I was working on Khan Academy. Um mm-hmm. I, I couldn't understand why I couldn't do these particular problems. And I was like, what is going on? And like, I ran the problems over and over again. I was like, these aren't even hard. Like, these are simple problems. And it turns out I totally forgot that one multiplies and divides at the same time in, in, in an equation. Right. So I was, I went, I went, I was doing the problem. I went ahead and multiplied all the bits that needed to be multiplied, and then divided, and was like, "Why is my answer all skewed?" And it's because you have to multiply and divide at the same time and work left to right. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, I thought you did all the multiplication first and then did all the division. No, no, no. That skews all your answers wrong. Hmm. Yeah, what did you did you not learn the little the, the rule in, in school for the order of operations? The way I remember the order of operations is that it's multiplication, then division, then addition, then subtraction. Oh no, man, that's wrong. Huh? Yeah, it's 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 uh, parentheses, so everything in the brackets first. Oh yeah, well yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, and then the exponents, and then yeah. multiplication and division happen at the same time. All right. They don't take priority over one another. Because the way I think about it is that like. Uh, division is just multiplication, like an inverse. Yeah. Yeah, so they're the same thing, so they happen at the same time, so one doesn't take priority over one another, and the same with addition and subtraction. I I can't see how... I'm having difficulty imagining how that makes a difference, to be honest, how... 
Okay, I, okay, I, I, okay. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Do you have a pen and paper on you there, Phil? Oh, Edgar, come on. All right, here we go. Okay, ready? So, <laughs> of course I do. All right, here we go. Six. Yeah. Divided by. Divided by. Two. Mm-hmm. Bracket. Right. One plus two. One plus two. Close bracket. Close bracket. Okay, work that out. One. Yeah, so the answer's nine. Okay. All right. So that means that you... So what you do is you do the one plus two, so you get three. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> so then you have six That's divided fun. by two times three. And because uh, multiplication and division happen at the same time, you just work left to right. So you do six divided by two, and then you do three times three. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I forgot this and was just failing miserably at Khan. And then Khan, oh God, Khan Academy kept telling me, would you like to come back to this topic later? Is it, <laughs> is it too hard for you? I'm like, no, shut up, Khan, I can do this. There's just, something just isn't clicking. And I just totally like forgot order of operations. That's kind of mind bendy. I don't uh, like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might throw a link to the Minifysics video on how the order of operations is wrong and wrong in the sense of morally wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's a very inter- it's actually a really interesting video and it kind of gets the nuts and bolts of why we have the order operations. Um, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool. Anyhow, second long-winded digression. Oh god, right. Okay, let's let's tear through the rest of this follow-up, okay? Okay, so Dominic made a calculator. Dominic made a calculator which is awesome. It's great to see people taking my work and making it into real tangible things. I am so happy. Your content is going out there and making change in the world, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, all right, so and speaking of making change in the world, another person used my videos to make something cool. Oh. And that person goes by the Twitter handle of at LokiWom. I think that's how you pronounce it. The and numeral one or? The what? The numeral one? No, Wom. Oh, W-A-M. W-O-M. W-O-M. <laughs> so at LokiWom made a guide for constructing solar systems inside Universe Sandbox based on my videos. Oh, nice. Which is really, really epic. And he he opens up um, at the top, he prefaces it by saying, this is, you know, not my work. Uh, This is the work of, in quotes, the world-building genius of Artifexy. And I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) oh, yeah. I'll take that one. So, uh, big thanks to Dominic and uh, Loki there. That's, like, that's really cool. Like, makes me really happy. That's that's excellent. So uh, yeah, um, once Dominic and Loki uh, release these things, um, listeners go and use them and yeah, I will link- send send the results to Dominic and to Loki and to us. Oh, very good. Yeah, I'll link in the show notes all these things. Brilliant as well, Brilliant. so you'll be able to get get a hand them. Okay, and then so finally, this isn't so much uh, an item of follow up, more that I just wanted to give another shout out to someone. Okay, or two people in particular, and those people are called Paul Byrne. And Lorcan Boland. And they are, um, at least one of them is an in real life friend, mutual friend of ours. Oh, Paul, cool, yeah. Yeah, Paul, yeah. And uh, they have a podcast, and because I love podcasts, and I love when my friends start doing internet projects, I thought I'd give them a shout out to see if people would go have a listen to them. Their podcast is called Making Sense of My Immortal, and it is very fun. It is a very, very fun podcast. I think you should all go check it out. Is this My Immortal, the infamous Harry Potter fanfiction? Every so often, Bill, the world is gifted with a work of pure genius. You know, you have like Shakespeare's works, you have like Walt Whitman, and then you have that Harry Potter fanfiction. 
it's glorious, isn't it? I I could only I could only get so far. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know how many chapters I've read of it? Yes, I have read thirty-one chapters of it. Oh dear, out of how many? I think there's I think there's forty, forty-two, forty-three. Wow, it's a lot of chapters. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, basically, the lads Paul and Lorcan's podcast is about them reading my immortal and basically reacting to it and having a discussion about it. And it's very fun. It's really cool. It's just two blokes, two friends sitting around and just having the chats about this hilarious bit of fan fiction. Um, it's definitely worth definitely worth uh, a listen. All right. Okay. Uh, so, will we... Oh, no. One more thing before we move on. One more thing. We had a comment in the Reddit by a person called Luna Eris, I think. Luna Eris. Okay. Um, and it was it was quite a long comment, so I'm not going to read it aloud. Uh, but essentially, the crux of it is that this person asks, "Have you ever like we spend a lot of time building macro structures? Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried to build micro structures like atoms and things like that?" Okay. So rather than building a universe, building like the fabric of a universe, and this got me thinking. All right, and when Edgar thinks, when Edgar <laughs> thinks, stuff happens, right? So I'm, uh, Luna Aries, I'm, I'm going to answer that, but in the main topic, because it, it comes into play there. All right? Cool. All right. That's interesting. Oh, well, hopefully, hopefully it is. Um, shall we move to the main topic? I think so. Okay, so last time around, Bill, we world built two systems. Sure did. You built one system, I built one system. Hand wavia and dagger? And dagger. Dagger was dagger. my system, yeah. I have been thinking lots about dagger, and I think I've come up with something really cool for my setting, and I wanted to run it by you. Yeah, please do. Okay, so, and buckle in here. This is going to be a long one, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so, TLDR, I've changed a couple of things. Good. All right, so to recap, my system has three stars. Yeah, it's it's a... a- Close binary and then a distant companion. Exactly, right? And the three is going to play an important role in a bit, okay? So three stars. It has three special planets on the outer system that are in a weird resonance. Okay, and again, three. It's going to play an important role later on. And it also has three planets, potentially three planets, in the habitable zone. Again, three, and the role will be played later on. Oh, okay. So what I am going to do, I'm going to change the premise slightly. I said that my the gas giant in my habitable zone mm-hmm. had an Earth-like moon. I'm going to change that. I'm going to make the Earth-like planet a Trojan planet. Okay, yeah. And make a moon of the gas giant be an artificially created Taurus planet. Cool, like in your video. You did a video about Taurus planets. Exactly, you? yeah. So using that video, I have decided to go build a artificially constructed Taurus planet. And the reason for the artificial construction is it takes away any sort of like, oh, well, this couldn't happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can't. But someone, someone decided to build it. And again, there is, I have a reason for that, which will, which three plays an important role and we'll come into it later on. Now, this artificially constructed Taurus moon, if you will, is in orbit around the gas giant for the purposes of mining helium. Okay. All right. So I'm going to say that my gas giant has an abnormal amount of helium. Helium mining. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And th- again, this is all this. The reason for these changes will all become apparent in, in a second. Okay. Sure. All right. So this entire thing started with making a galaxy in in Photoshop. 
Okay. All right, so I was like, oh, it'd be really nice. I might Photoshop together a galaxy and then me and Bill in the next episode can go, you know, my, my system is here. And we could have a little map for our our uh, our systems, and we could put it in the show notes and be really lovely. So I went and made a spiral galaxy, which should be the first picture. Oh, I have to open these pictures now. You have to open up these pictures, and I will throw these pictures in the show notes so you guys can uh, follow along. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So that's the galaxy I made for us. All right. Okay. All right, and then I, after many, after spending many many hours <laughs> making this galaxy, I realized none of us wanted a spiral galaxy. <laughs> and I was like oh we both said that we'd really like to have an irregular galaxy so I was like okay I gotta scratch the spiral galaxy and I just started in looking into irregular galaxies right okay now there is a problem with irregular galaxies and the problem is fairly obviously that they're quite chaotic alright so I went into universe sandbox the great mm-hmm. great universe sandbox links in the, in the show notes and I started smashing together spiral galaxies to produce irregular galaxies. <laughs> okay? Yeah. <laughs> and seeing what sort of shapes came up and how could I map these shapes. All right? right? Okay. So if you look at picture number two. Yeah, that's a big mess. I like it. That's a big mess. Okay. So again, show notes, guys. All these pictures will be in there. So I looked at that and went, that thing is impossible to map. And like the only thing I could come up with was like a topographical sort of thing where you do like a top-down view and then you have different colors for like the elevation above the galactic plane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and below. But then like that got... Can you meaningfully say that there's a galactic plane? Yeah, exactly. See, I was about to say, there's loads of problems with that and you'd have to make some stupid arbitrary distinction. So the only thing I could do was literally just take a snapshot from Universe Sandbox and say, mm-hmm. there's the there's the galaxy, and then you know, yeah. and it means nothing. So I was like, right, I need to I need to define things better. So what I did next, Bill, right, was I decided to take snapshots of the galaxies while they're colliding at certain specific points in time. Okay. okay. Um so what I did, well, I noticed that when the two black holes of the two galaxies, okay, when they first came close to one another, a really interesting shape shape formed every single time regardless of how massive I made the galaxies and those are picture number three cool okay so can you describe the pictures there for me what what sort of shape does that invoke to you number oh hold on I can't figure out exactly how these are numbered okay four four dash one looks a bit like a heart three dash one looks a bit like a rubber duck um (laughs) they're kind of it's like a fragment of a double helix, maybe? Okay, right. You're getting close to what I was thinking, right? I immediately thought that they looked like knots. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can see that. Okay. And now, just you mentioned about the numbering thing, uh, the 4-4, four four, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the masses of the galaxies in question. Oh, okay. And the colors correspond to the colors of the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so regardless of the mass I did, they all seem to come out with this sort of like helical... Heli- helical? Is that right? Helical? Uh, I think he- so. Helexical? Not helexical. It's, it's, <laughs> it's spelled helical. I don't know okay. how it's pronounced though. Uh, they all seem to come out with this like helical knotted sort of structure. Okay? Yeah. So then, Bill, I went on the old interweb and had a look at knots, right? And in my sort of like ignorance, I thought knots were like shoelaces. 
Okay. And, it, and in many ways, knots are like shoelaces in the sort of everyday sort of sense. Um, but it turns out there is a thing called a mathematical knot. Right. Okay, which is not like a shoelace. A mathematical knot is a closed structure. Okay, yeah, I, I, I think I get you. It can't be untied. Yeah. Okay, so if there's loose ends, if you have a knotted thing with loose ends, it can, in theory, be untied and therefore is not a mathematical knot. But if you fuse the ends of your shoelaces together, you'd have a mathematical knot. You will, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the simplest mathematical knot is like an elastic band. Yeah, just a... It's like, they call it the trivial knot or the unknot. Yeah. Okay, it can't be unknotted. And then you you have uh, you have like a periodic table of knots in a way. It's really fascinating. I'll throw links in the in the show notes for this. Where you have, they, they get listed in order of crossing. Order of crossing means how many times they cross over each other. How I many think. times they cross over each other. And that's the minimal amount of times. Because depending on how, because they're 3D objects, depending on how you project them, you could get more crossings. Right. Okay, but you, like every structure, every knot will have a minimal number of crossings and that's how they're defined. Yeah. So I had a look around and I realized that these galaxies I've been smashing together looked very much like a structure called a trefoil knot. Yeah. Okay, which is picture number five. Number five. Yes, of course. Okay, so now, now I thought I was on something. So now I have something that's a defined structure that people have at least in passing seen before. Yeah. So I was like, maybe I could use this as my template for our regular galaxy. Okay. All right. And just just as a little thing, it's got three crossings. So the number three again. Yeah. All right. So then I decided to start making regular galaxy on that template and number, I produced number six. Cool. Okay. Now that's just, that's just like, um, that's like the first steps. I haven't put all the finishing touches on it. That, this is done in Photoshop, not Universe Sandbox. This is done in Photoshop. Yeah. Okay. Because in Universe Sandbox, they're not true knots. They're chaotic, you know? Right. So, but I needed some way of making it like not chaotic but not spiral right okay so question mm-hmm. what do you think of the structure when you say that you can't do it in universe sandbox that makes me think right then how did it arise okay well one you could hand wave it and okay two That's two you could always valid. say that universe sandbox isn't a supercomputer and therefore can't replicate all the collision results of all different types of galaxies Mm, I guess you could. <laughs> you're more you're more in favor of hand waving it, are you? That yeah, I mean that's 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 kind of classic bad science. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I have to cut that from the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think the important thing with this is that I think that this picture implies a three D element. Okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. It looks three D, you know, whereas everything else would have just looked like a blob, a two dimensional blob of stuff, mm-hmm. and I think that's important, right? Now, problems with this is that it looks really artificial, like you said, right? Yeah. So I decided to take the original trefoil knot, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is also prime knot, and I am fascinated by prime, so that 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 was really good for me. And I decided to try and warp it a little bit in universe in in Photoshop to get a more of a naturalistic look. Um, so that's okay. picture picture seven and eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you see what I've done there? Yeah. So I tried to move it away a little bit from the sort of classic trefoil shape mm-hmm. so i thought seven and eight uh picture seven and eight there bill look slightly more dynamic and a little bit more realistic yeah i and, like eight yeah i was just about to say especially eight so i think what i might do is i might take that as my template number eight and make a galaxy over that 
Yeah. And then that might be my galaxy. Um, now, the, I- prob- the problem with this, though, is that how do two separate discs become one contiguous, like, tube, knotted tube? Like, would there not still be... Like the, the the boundary zones, like the, where where the, the the remnants of the two previous galaxies meet, would probably be less well defined and stuff. That's what it seems to me. Yeah, yeah, no, I I fully accept that this knotting sort of thing is slightly artificial. Okay. Um, but again, I needed to have something that had a bit of order to it because the the proper chaotic irregular thing is just it's too difficult to deal with, and it's it's inherently meaningless. It's just the blobs all over the page. So I had to just find some way of putting some sort of order on it. And the more I kind of mess with it and warp it and, mm-hmm. like, hide certain bits or maybe not fully connect up certain, like, areas, um, I can hide away the trefoilness of it, but still have right. that as a template sort of thing. And then okay, yeah. any eagle-eyed, like, uh, viewers or readers of the book that I will never write... Um, might be like, oh, that looks very much like a trefoil knot. And then hopefully they'll begin to, like, go through and logic out all my decisions. Yeah. Cool. All right, so uh, what do we think? Did that sound like a cool idea to have a trefoil knot galaxy? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a compelling idea. Cool. Now, that's only the beginning, right? Because then <laughs> the real void opened up. Turns out, right, a bit of a history lesson. Back in the day, we thought there was a thing called the ether. Yeah. Right, and so the ether, for anyone who's unaware, this was kind of like, people thought there was like this medium that permeated all of space throughout which light propagates. And they call this the ether. The way that like uh, sound needs a medium to propagate through and heat needs a medium to propagate through, they thought that this was the medium that allowed light to travel. Exactly, exactly. Uh, which clearly isn't the case, just for the record. Like, that's been, that's, that's been debunked. Like Thoroughly debunked. Thoroughly debunked. But that was a thing, and... I, I I knew this, but what I didn't know was that they thought atoms were knots, like knots in the mathematical sense, in the ether. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, like, the hydrogen knot would just be, like, a, an, elastic, an elastic band somehow being formed in the ether. And then the next most complicated element, helium, which is going to be important if we remember earlier I said about helium. <laughs> uh, helium is a trefoil knot, because a trefoil knot is the second most basic knot one can make in maths. Okay. So they thought helium was trefoil knot. So then I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. I've made a trefoil knot. And helium is a trefoil knot. So I was like, okay, all right, okay. So I have a trefoil knot galaxy. Let's let's say that my universe, or at least my local region in space, will say, if you want to be in the same galaxy as me, has an ether, that the ether is uh, that exists. Okay. Let's just use that as an assumption. All the physics work exactly the same, just like they did back in the day. Like, you know, the world didn't not function just because they thought there was an ether. So there's an ether, and the trefoil knot shows up on the micro scale as, a, as, a, as the helium atom, and also on the macro scale as an irregular, as the shape of an irregular galaxy. Mm-hmm. Okay. How does, how does this, this sound? I don't think you can just say that there is an ether and that all physics works the same. Why? Because I can't remember the exact details of it. Um, I can Google it in a second. There, there's something about like how the speed of light works disproves ether, and it's something that was like proven in the early twentieth century. So right. It's yeah. Something no. quite fundamental. Oh no! I know. Right. But say you're reading a book. 
And this happens to be the premise of the book. Would this be like a, I need to put down the book. This is stupid. Potentially. Potent- now, that's interesting because remember in previous podcasts, you talked about a story. Is it called On? Was it On? A book called On? Where gravity goes sideways. Yeah. Now, you clearly didn't put down that book. So what made you keep that book up? What would make you put down a book about there being an ether? Um... And also, no, just another thing, uh, I would, like, if I ever were to write this book, which again, I'm not, I would not actually state that there's an ether. This would just be involved in my thinking. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I don't know, it just feels like a very different situation, and it, it wasn't that important to the to the, the story, I guess, in, and it was only kind of clear at the end that that was what, what happened. Um, okay. And it was, it was an interesting enough premise otherwise. Okay, yeah, what? it's it, the, the Mickelson-Morley experiment. I remember reading about it before and roughly getting it, and it's, it's a little long-winded to go into now, but it's called the Mickelson-Morley experiment. Uh, I'll throw it in the show notes. I don't know, yeah. it, but I'll, I'll read up on it. But what, so, I get, so how about then, if we ditch the idea of an ether, mm-hmm. but we just say that in my universe, we have the same atoms that we have oh. here. Okay. okay. Except that they are knotted. They are knotted structures of some subatomic particles that happen to function the same way as our uh, particles. Ergo, everything is still our universe-like. Could you say that, for whatever reason, at some point in the development of scientific knowledge in the culture you're presenting, that that was how they were viewed? That was how atoms are viewed, the way that we have like the Bohr planetary model of atoms? Right, yeah, I could do that, but I kind of want to try and world-build the micro-aspects of the universe. Now, there's problems with doing this, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. because anything that you do is not going to work. Like, you yeah. know? And you have to make some sort of conceit. And my conceit was that this was a theory that existed before, okay? So I'm not just pulling it out of thin air. And that it's a nice way of tying in the macro and micro, and it has no effect on my world. Mm-hmm. It's just a thing, and again, not even an explicitly stated thing. Maybe something that would ha- be written in you know one sentence at the back of a lore book or whatever. Right. Not convinced, Bill. No. Just no. The idea of, of like as far as I remember, the ether is just like it, it. It it really messes with a lot of things more than you might expect. Yeah, but no, no. Get rid of the ether then. Just the idea of knotted atoms. That in knotted this, atoms. Knotted atoms. Uh-oh. So. Go on. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Okay. I, I Possibly. Like, I, I, I like him because there's, you know, like you talk about the Bohr model of the atom. Yeah. In the Bohr model, you have, you know, we have solar systems. Yeah. And they, and they, you know, look like little balls spinning around a central object. And then we had the same thing. We thought that was the same thing uh, on the atomic level. Yeah. You'd have electrons going around a nucleus. And there's a kind of a cool, like, unity there. It's obviously false, but there was a cool unity. And I was trying to do the same thing here, where you'd have all the dust particles would go around the center of the galaxy in a knotted structure. Therefore, the subatomic elements would follow the same pattern. Sure. And that's why I think it's interesting as a a cultural kind of concept. Because, I mean, the Bohr model is not accurate. No, it, it's not accurate, yeah. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? The the cultural thing, it could still work with the rest of what I got to say, so... So, yeah, no, let, let, me, let me continue, right? Yeah, no, no, I mean, I, I am kind of playing devil's advocate here. I'm interested no, no, in, totally. in what you're saying. Um, so, I talked then, remember I said earlier about uh, the Taurus planet? 
Yeah. Okay, now hopefully we understand why I said there's a lot of helium in the gas giant now. Yeah? Because the whole trefoil knot connection? Yeah, the, the, you're tying the symbolism together. I'm tying the symbolism, exactly, Bill. So the Taurus planet is a bit of a, a sticky outy thing here. You're kind of like, well, what's symbolism with this? Turns out, right? Well, that, that's, a, that's a knot as well. It's a... It's a, the simplest knot. It's it's an unknot, yes, right? Yeah. But also, it turns out, if you were to be on the surface of a Taurus planet mm-hmm. and walk around it in a prescribed way and come back to where you started, you will outline a trefoil knot. That makes sense, yeah. So the trefoil knot lies on a 3D Taurus. So we have, my idea anyways, was that you had the micro... Uh, part of your world like the the atomic level be knotted and the trefoil knot is prominent uh you have the macro with galaxies also being being knotted and again trefoil knot and then you have like so the culture will be aware of these knotted structures and then mm-hmm. for them to go construct an artificial world they would like uh, at least in my mind they would try and do the most elegant thing possible all right and for them, it might be this idea of constructing a Taurus planet because they know the mathematics of it and they understand that the trefoil knot uh, or even just an unknot, the Taurus itself, is part of their universe, you know? Yeah. And that I'm sure could... you, can, you can inscribe other knots on the surface of Tauruses as well. Yeah, no, I'm sure you can. I'm sure yeah. you can. But you can also just do a trefoil knot. It's one of those things, uh, apparently, my research tells me, that is always just like noted. It's always like within when you when you study like uh, topography, mathematical topography, and you go to like three D Taurus within a fir- within the first few sentences of any sort of analysis, it's always like oh yeah, and a trefoil knot can be inscribed on a Taurus. Yeah. Um. So it's it's quite an obvious one to people. So yeah. So there. So that essentially is is my is my thing. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So trefoil knot galaxy, trefoil knot atoms. Culture is aware of the knotted structure and emulates it in their megastructures. Alright? And and also, the trefoil knot has three crossings. Okay? Which ties into my three stars. Which ties into the three outer planets. Which ties into the three habitable zone structures. You know, like, so I could make, if I ever write this story, I could make three be a very important concept in the story. Just to tie everything together. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, Bill, is what I've been doing for the past month. Cool. So overall thoughts. We, we're skeptical about the actual making the ether and, and the knots an actual thing. Is there anything else you're skeptical about or think I should revisit or look at? Not, not necessarily that you should revisit this, but you're, you're kind of... You're, you're pulling together lots of things from, from very different levels. Like the fact that there's three stars. It, it's, it's kind of... Um, it's a bit, it's a bit like geocentrism. You know what I mean? It's like, oh well, you know, so obviously somewhere there's going to be three stars in, in a system somewhere in this galaxy. Why, why is that? You know, why is that meant to be important on a kind of a cosmic scale? Oh right, yeah, no, it's not important. It wouldn't be important in the story at all. It's okay. just, it's just further kind of uh, tying things together for me. Like I could have two, but like that, that's like a, an aesthetic thing for you. The, yeah, the, the the idea of three is purely aesthetic. Okay. That okay, is purely yeah. aesthetic. And, like, they wouldn't... Like, n- my culture, for example, wouldn't necessarily maybe have the same sort of affinity to three. Uh, mm. But I just do in my world building. And I find sometimes... I don't know if other people or other world builders get this. I find if you have a number, it can, can kind of help with world building. Really? 
I think so. Yeah, like like three, for example. Like I, now that I have this number three in my head, I'm immediately thinking, oh, maybe their religion could have like three prime deities, some you kind know. of holy trinity. <laughs> <laughs> to coin a phrase. <laughs> yeah, I. Do you know, I didn't even think that. I was thinking of Hinduism. But yeah, no, but like, even if my number is four then, I might think, oh, I might need four deities, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Martin and his, what is it, seven deities? Yeah. Yeah, like if I was Martin and, you know, I might be like, oh, I have a number seven in my head. And I might be like, oh, seven kingdoms. And then, oh, seven of this. And just just a way of constraining things so you're not going, you know, I'll have three of that and four of that and ten of this. You know what I mean? I guess. I don't know. It, like, I, I seem to have an affinity for this overarching unity that others just don't have. It's interesting because that's very much um, world building, like aesthetic things, rather than what I would have thought would be your usual sort of hard science. It's yeah, it's, guess, it's, yeah. it's a little it's a little bit of a surprising digression from from what I expected. Well, what do you think I would have done? Like, if I said to you, Bill, I'm going to start doing galaxies. Where do you think I would have went? Do you think I would have just like built a standard galaxy and been like, this is all scientifically accurate? Place not world. necessarily a standard one, but I would have expected you to like. I mean, I'm not making a, a judgment decision here. No, no, um, no. It's it's merely reporting my expectations. Um, I would have thought you would have been more uh, close to demonstrable facts. You see, I don't think I'm that far away from demonstrable facts. <laughs> like, like, can we say that there's not a knotted galaxy somewhere? Like, it's not an impossibility that the way, the, like, a chaotic system could, for a time anyways, end up as a knotted structure. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Yeah, but, like, there might be a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, like, but- you're using the exact same logic. <laughs> no, I don't... No, no, no. It is, it is not beyond the realms of possibility to have a knotted galaxy. It is beyond the realms of possibility to have a unicorn. Why? It's the same logic, man. I, I don't I don't think it's the same logic because I'm making fewer leaps here. Like the unicorn takes a good bit of leaps to try and say, well, this is legit. Well, like I, I'm going, irregular galaxies are inherently chaotic and their structures are not well-defined. Okay, so there's no kind but of then like... then you're making something that's incredibly well-defined. I am, yeah, no, I'm basing it on something incredibly well-defined. Remember I said earlier, I will probably mess with it so it's not so trefoil not looking. Mm. You know, but like have it come from there. Because if you're right. bu- if you're just building something chaotic, it just it's meaningless, isn't it? Like if you just do you mean by meaningless, like it's just it's 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 kind of pointless. Like if I just like drew a blob on a piece of paper for you and went, "That's my regular galaxy." It's kind of like, well, you just drew a blob, you know. At least in this, it's kind of like I have a thought process to try and like confine. The blob my- wouldn't wouldn't bother me at all. Would it not bother you at all? No, why would it? Oh man, that really bothers me. Like, okay. like, uh, uh, oh, here, here's a good analogy. It's akin, right, to creating a world map and just randomly drawing like blobs of landmass without taking into account, say, how ocean currents would affect them, how tectonic plates would affect them, things like that. Okay, but you, you say you built it like in you, you put two galaxies in the universe sandbox and smashed them together and got a blob. Right. Yeah. Then you're, 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 you're coming from something. There's a process there. And even if it ended up as just a blob, I mean, who cares? Very, very true. But I also did put them into universe sandbox, smash them together, and they come they came out looking at least somewhat knotted. Not-ish. Not, yeah, not-ish. Yeah, 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 not-ish. And so it's not like that much more of a leap to go, oh, let's, let's, have a, let's play with some knots. 
Oh, not convinced. This is this is really interesting. See, I was I was I was thinking, oh, you'd just be like, that's that that that's really cool, like um, No, like look, it, it, it's cool and everything. I'm just I'm just I'm not I'm not dissing it. I'm just saying it's it is. I, I'm surprised. It's it's a surprising step away from what I expected. No, no, and and this is good because this is why I like talking to you, right? Because sometimes I think I have got the world's greatest idea, right? <laughs> and then I bring it to you, and then you're often very much times the voice of reason. so then i can kind of like after the podcast now well after i finish work i will probably sit down for a bit and and reassess and see what i think so it's good and like i I, you know i'm saying this to obviously have this sort of like a conversation with the listeners as well but also to kind of like this this helped my world building to chat uh, to chat with you about these things Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's me that's that's me and my knotted universe (laughs) i guess it just feels like a kind of Un- unnecessary justification for something that doesn't need justification. Like, you know, I- I- a blob would be perfectly adequate for me. Yeah, but there's no beauty in that. There's no artistic integrity in that. You know, like, like you know the way, like, human beings like metaphor and, like, layers of... I don't. What? What? What is wrong with <laughs> Like, I don't... Like, a lot of the time, I don't care. I mean, like, it, it just... Metaphors and stuff often feel really unrealistic to me. It's like, oh, you know, well, this this symbolizes, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, but real life doesn't work like that. Like, just, just stuff happens. Oh, oh, Bill, now that, I'm genuinely surprised you said that, though. But, like, isn't that the whole, like, why we enjoy reading books? To, like, you know, to, like... Uh, in- Sometimes, yeah, but not always. Like, and now, I'm going to make another broad statement here, which you're probably going to not like. But, like, is it not most of the time? No. Like, most of the time, do we not, like, we as in general people, do we not, like, revel in the symbolism and the, how how well created something is in the different layers of meaning as opposed to just blob? I can't speak for everyone, but only sometimes for me. I mean, sometimes I just like a story. It doesn't, there doesn't have to be any, like, deeper meaning to it. I just like a good plot. Is the deeper meaning bad? No. Like, like in this case, are are you saying that my all this additional justification, the, this aesthetic justification, are you saying that this is detracting from from what I'm trying to do? So just, just like, are you saying that like it's just better and clearer to just do your blob of an irregular galaxy and forget all the knots, forget the microstructures, that sort of thing? No, it just it's no. I'm not saying I'm not saying it'd be better without it. I just it it, it just feels a little unusual to me. I I kind of I kind of don't get the the need for it. For, all right, okay, all right, I, I, this is getting a long conversation, right? But forget need. There is no need to do this. There's no need for us to talk about world building. There's no need for us to world build. You know? Yeah, yeah. All, all art is useless. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But like, so it's not a need. It's a want. It's a want on my part. Yeah. To have okay. This. And, and what, I guess what I mean then is I don't understand the the motivation behind that. But but bear in mind that like you know I you know when you see about like loving metaphors and stuff I know I don't tend to have emotional reactions to to art or anything. So. Oh, are you a Vulcan? No, I'm not a Vulcan. I just I I don't get emotionally invested in in media that much. Um, does this include all media? Most, including yeah. music. Yeah, totally. So you, okay, so, so so you're a, com- a composer. Yeah, and and you you there are t- you you don't emotionally engage with music sometimes. Most of the time, there's very little music that that emotionally engages me. Are you saying emotional as in like I'm brought to my uh, knees in tears sort of thing? 
No, I just, I mean, no. it doesn't, it doesn't elicit any kind of emotional reaction. It's, it's a kind of an aesthetic reaction for me most, most times. It's like, but oh, then that's you should cool. be all on board with this idea. No, because it's an, you're making, you're comparing two entirely different media. <laughs> no, I am. I am. Every so often, right, listeners, Bill is a very logical man. I don't know about that. No, you are a very logical man. And you're really good at portraying the logic behind your thinking and thoughts, okay? Okay. And and I've noticed this from, from living with you for a bit. And part of me really likes to just make really off-the-cuff statements that are really kind of like provocative in a sort of Bill sense and watch Bill react. <laughs> oh, it's so much fun. I'm really sorry, man, but it's so much fun. That's just fine. It's fine. <laughs> so, what you kind of brought up there at, at the start of your, your section was uh, a comment from Luna Eris mm. on Reddit about building, like, the kind of the more fundamental elements of the existence. Like, yeah. building atomic structures or... That's that's a really interesting and really um, powerful idea. It sounds really hard. Uh, yeah, difficult to execute. That, like, yeah. that's why I could go no further than just going. My atoms are not. Yeah, like it's it's very easy to make say new elements or you know make up fictional uh, chemicals and things. Which mm. probably you know there's so many examples of that. Star and, Trek. Yeah, there's very little we can um, yeah. really usefully say there. But I think talking about changing sort of fundamentals about how reality works brings us into either like real kind of deep sci-fi or actually into fantasy. Oh, now that's an interesting thing. I didn't expect you to say that. Go, what, tell me more about this. Okay, so remember, I think in one of the very first episodes, um, I mentioned an essay called The Skeptical Fantasist. You did, yes. By R. Scott Backer. And that kind of touches on something that, that he says there, that, you know, science fiction is about engaging with ideas about how we think the future might work. Yeah. Broadly speaking, obviously you can find exceptions to that, but that's kind of one, one way of framing it. Are you making uh, a broad sweeping statement, Bill? Should I give out to you? If you want. <laughs> no, never mind. I am being facetious. Go for it. Bring it. Um, whereas fantasy, in, in his analysis, is about engaging with outmoded ideas about how the universe worked. Yeah. Looking back, in a way, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that, you know, changing ideas about how, how reality works and bringing it closer to, to older ideas is kind of like fantasy. That's, you know, that's... that's. Do you see the connection I'm making there? Yeah, that's very much like what I try to do. Okay, but you're framing it as a science fiction story. Am I? I don't think I've stated that, have I? Well, I Maybe suppose... Maybe not, but... The construction of the torch plant, yeah. But yeah, no, but, 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 yeah, I see what you're doing. But by, by talking about it like, in, in terms of, you know, explicitly this is how the atoms work and stuff and, and mm. expecting other things to remain similar. Whereas if you've got you know, just a, a thing happening on a, on a planet that could be a flat world and that's not really relevant to, to affecting other things. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it, it raises some of the same, same, same issues, totally. I'll, 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 I'll admit that up front. It does totally raise uh, a lot of the same issues. But it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, if, if we talk about what, what are the elements, if we frame it in, in the mindset where the elements are earth, water, fire, wood, metal... Then yeah, the classical elements. The classical elements mm. are, you know, something analogous to the classical elements. Then we get a very different 
we get a very different epistemology about how that universe functions. And I, I think, just to just interrupt, I, I think if you are to start world-building microstructures, mm-hmm. I think the only real way of doing it, unless you're some sort of quasi-genius, is to take, like you said there, look back into the past and assume that what they thought was true is true and yeah. deal with the ramifications of that. Like, what would happen if if a world was composed of fire, water, air, uh, metal, wood, or whatever? Yeah. Because if you just start arbitrarily, like, putting things everywhere and, like, redefining everything, like, oh, like, the electromagnetic weak force is suddenly X and not Y, yeah. <laughs> then it's kind of like, well, that's meaningless, like, because we don't know what that does, you know what I mean? We, ca- we, we couldn't couldn't possibly compute how, how that would look in real life. Exactly, yeah. I mean, there, there's certain things I think that you can't really get away with. Like, you can't say the world works in Aristotelian physics because they like they don't hold up to any kind of scrutiny whatsoever. Any kind of examination mm-hmm. demonstrates that that's nonsense. So you're either going to have to not stray into certain areas or completely hand wave them and accept that it's nonsense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Except that you're taking a huge literary conceit. Um, <laughs> you mentioned at start there, you meant about like just making up uh, elements or compounds. Yeah. Is uh, not all that meaningful? I wouldn't say it's not all, all that meaningful, but it's, it's kind of, maybe, actually maybe that was exactly what I said. I can't remember the words I used. <laughs> but uh, okay, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, you had you said something to that effect, right? Right. Um, I, I've been looking into it a little bit, like looking into like the likes of Mithril and uh, Miasma and Phlogiston and all that. I think if you are to like make up an element or take mm-hmm. a, a made up element that already kind of exists in the popular sort of uh, zeitgeist, an interesting thing might be to see where that may fit in the periodic table. And, like, maybe it could replace something we know. Like, maybe just, I don't know, like, does does Mithril have certain properties of a certain, like, group of elements? And could mm. that fit into those things? It, that might be a little bit more interesting than just going, and then there was Mithril. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or take the properties of the various different groups in the periodic table and invent another element or substitute element around that, that shares properties. So you are inventing something new, but it's kind of still locked down into real-world physics. Uh, that, that would bother me. Oh, I, you know what? I, I can't understand you. Because, <laughs> why, no, because you, you, you're... Why would that bother you? Because you're saying... I, I don't know. You're basically saying, oh, so physics works the same for, like, 1920ths. Like, 95% of it, it works the same. But then there's this whole group of elements where it works completely differently, and that's fine. No, no, that's not what I said at all. Well, no, like, okay, so if you say that, okay, well, lithium is now mithril. Yeah, let's yeah, let's replace an element with another element. Give it all of the fundamental base properties, but then you can add and hand wave, say, one extra thing. Like, it, it's, oh, not, okay. it's not silver, it turns out it's fluorescent pink. Oh, okay, oh, yeah, that makes, that, okay, yeah, that's, that's a little, that's a little, uh closer to something I could live with. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's an interesting way of incorporating all the elements. Um, uh, one thing I, I don't like seeing, and I, I've seen some some of this recently, is that you take the periodic table and mm-hmm. then just, at, like, in the middle somewhere, cram in all the rest of the fa- uh, the fantasy elements. Yeah, uh, like add a new group between the metals and the alkali metals or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just like, oh, and there's all the phlogiston, miasma, and, and mithril, and... yeah you know, unobtainium, and you're like, uh, okay, right, now, but that's, you're just 
putting stuff places, you know? Also, like, the idea of putting phlogiston on the, the periodic table is ridiculous anyway. It's not, it's like, it's not a, it never, it never seemed to be like that kind of matter to me. To the listeners who don't know, phlogiston is a, an outdated theory about how um, heat worked, that there was a, a, a substance that was the essence of heat and that permeated things. And when things got hotter, it accumulated more phlogiston. Man, humans are crazy, aren't we? I mean, it's not like, it's not. No, it's just really interesting looking stupid. back and being like, that's what they taught. That's class, you know? So, yeah, like, just like the idea of like, it's not really what phlogiston does. It's not like a, I don't know, it's not, not like a substance in the same way in my mind. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't exist. It's very hard to define what it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it doesn't seem like, you know, even if it was a thing that was real, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would be on the periodic table. Do you know what's another thing you can do with elements? Or like the ether or whatever. Uh, yeah? Um, just on the subject of, of, of micro, micro world building. Um, you know the way we have all those heavy elements? Oh, and I think this is, I think this is used in Mass Effect. Let me, let me just go through this, right? You know, we, okay. have, we, we have all the super heavy elements that we create by bombarding uh, elements with other elements. Yeah. And they only hang around. They only exist for like microseconds. Yeah. Or probably even smaller. I, I don't I'm not a chemist. I don't know these things. But they don't hang around, essentially. And we have to like, we have to create them and then they evaporate straight away. Apparently, there is like this thing called the Island of Stability. Yeah. Where when you get to some really high number of element, like element number, I don't know, 120-something, there is like this little area around there where the element may be stable. Mm -hmm. Now, stability, that might mean it might hang around for a second, as opposed to like, you know, a fraction of a nanosecond. But I think, and is it Mass Effect that does this, uh, where that element is is uh, created and is stable and it has some sort of um it has some sort of meaning in the story. I remember um, that. I can't remember. I haven't I haven't played Mass Effect. Mass Effect. Um I think it's I, I really think it's a video game. And I, something tells me it's element is it, no. I think it's 119, but I could be totally wrong. Um, um, I can't remember. Could be. No, but the, the thing about uh other uh elements, uh, I would I I'd kind of feel a lot more accepting of them if they were not sort of shoehorned into something like the periodic table if you came up with an alternative way of of talking about them and of framing them yeah like knots <laughs> what I'm thinking of is uh, Mistborn alright okay uh, you haven't read Mistborn have you? I haven't read Mistborn but I know about it I know about it okay well there's um basically mild mild spoilers I'm not saying too much but uh a lot of the, the powers in Mistborn are based on various metals. Um, right. Some of these are fictional metals that, that don't actually exist, or at least it's, it's not explained that they correspond to anything in the real world. Okay. And But they are organized within a coherent, like a, a self-coherent scheme. Certain metals uh, affect certain things, like... Some of them give you uh, powers to do with uh, your physical abilities. Some of them affect your mind. Some of them affect time, things like that. And there's consistent and logical relationships built between them on that basis. The ones that don't exist aren't said, oh, well, that's element 64 or whatever. They They don't try and justify it according to some sort of real world scientific premise. So they just have their own like periodic table, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not really a periodic table, but there's like a scheme that, that mm. puts them together according to 
the their own logic of how they influence the world. And I much prefer that. I think that's a really good idea. That sounds great. How many how many like metals are there in Mistborn? Like, is this an expansive catalog of how stuff works and interacts together? I can't remember exactly. And it's like l- less less than the periodic table. Oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're a good a good deal fewer. But a good deal fewer. Okay, to, right. to give a precise answer to that might kind of spoil some of it. Okay, cool. That's fine. And the the, the he's not finished with that setting, so it, it may it may turn out that there's there's more as he writes more. Um, he he might expand what the what exists within the setting, and he he does that within the context of the the original trilogy as well. Like at the start, you've got this idea about how the schema uh, works, and by the end of the book. By the end of the trilogy, you've got a, a different, uh, slightly different in scope and expanded in scope. Is Mistborn just to just to just so have this? Uh, Mistborn is the thing that's set over like different time periods. Ultimately, it's it, it, that's his intention. Yeah. So right now, there's a sort of a yeah, broadly speaking, a, a fantasy story. Then there's a sort of a wild westy kind of steampunk sequel to to it, which is going to have a few novels. There's meant to be a modern day one. And ultimately going to be a kind of a science fictiony kind of. Thing. All right, I I I'd love to see what he does on, in a sci-fi sense with that. Definitely. Um, yeah. I, do you know? Do you know what just popped in my head as well? No. And I realised that we've been talking a long time on this point, but also the idea of just making a new table of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. of elements, it, it kind of seems. Now that I think about, it, it kind of seems illogical as well because all you can do is really just go on what we already have. Um, unless you want to incorporate magic and then it's a whole different thing. But like, you know, if you go, all right, I'm going to need some bits of my universe to be non-reactive, you know, and then you go, well, I have four distinct, you know, non-divisible things of them. And they're just essentially noble gases, you know? Yeah, you're 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 rebuilding the same stuff under a different name. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, while you're talking there, I was trying to think, how could you go about doing it that it's it's not just a rebuilding of, of, of the same thing? It's difficult. It's really hard. This is why we don't find very much like fundamental world building, if you will, in, in, yeah. in fiction, because it's just mind boggling. Like you need to be like a nuclear physicist to understand this. Or, or, or you just take it in a completely different direction. Like you go to the kind of a fantasy kind of route and that allows you to hand wave a lot of things. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the main example I can think of of like really doing this is Flatland. Have you ever heard of Flatland? No. It's... Uh, I've only read extracts of it from when I was a kid, but it's it's a reasonably famous story uh, told from the point of view of a square citizen of a two-dimensional universe. Oh, that sounds epic. So it's two-dimensional, and then he sets up the society that exists among the, the shapes that live there and, you know, how things work in that in that universe. Oh, right. Interesting, interesting concept. Well executed. Um, yeah, um, it, it actually... From what I remember, there is one thing in, that that he describes near the start that actually completely un- undermines the, the whole thing. But, um, he says like you can you can tell what shape is, is coming towards you because of uh, you know the like squares are very like full on and then their sides just like stop and then polygons you know with, with more sides then the, their sides kind of gradually fade away. But in order to see that, presumably, like they would have to have some degree of thickness, which means that they would be three dimensional. Yeah, yeah, and there'd be also there'd be no distinction between. A square and a circle. Oh no, you'd have the slight fading. Yeah, that yeah. that you know that sounds problematic to me. That, yeah, but otherwise, it's it's. I, I thought it was very well thought out. <laughs> now that, that's a thing as well, right? As bad as world building fundamental particles is, world building dimensions is also quite difficult. 
two, two is okay. Two we can deal with. Like, uh, trying to write something in 4D space, that just, I, I, I couldn't even, I'd love to do it, but I couldn't even, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. Like, trying to imagine, like, I always think about this, right? You know the way on X, Y, and Z axis, axis that we have? Yep. Every axis is perpendicular to each other? Yeah. Yeah. The, just the concept of having a W axis that is perpendicular to the rest of them. You're just like, what? Brain broken. Gone. I can imagine certain things. I can honestly say I can't imagine anything about 4D space. <laughs> just okay. Not- <laughs> Think about this, right? Think about a 2D plane. Yeah. Okay. And a... Think of a, a three-dimensional sphere passing through that. Okay. Okay. So how does that look from, from a 2D point of view? You've got nothing. Then you've got a point which expands at a certain rate into, like, which becomes a circle, which expands at a certain rate to its largest size and then contracts to a point again at the same rate in reverse and then is gone. Okay. Right? Yeah, I think I'm with you there. So by analogy, for a four-dimensional... Oh, Jesus. Bear with me. For a four-dimensional hypersphere to pass through a three-dimensional space would be you have nothing, then you have a point which expands into, which becomes a sphere, which expands into a larger sphere and then contracts again. Yeah, no, brain broken, man. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, I, do, I can't, I, I don't, I don't possess the uh, ability to think in four dimensions. But, uh, well, can, can you get the two dimensional one out? Like the, the, the sphere passing to... to Barely. Uh, I mean, if you, like literally just think about like a, like a sheet of paper, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, uh, like imagine like a sphere, like a ball falling through it. A circle, a, a sphere getting bigger and then getting smaller again. I'm on a 2D plane. Yeah, imagine right? you're a two-dimensional plane. Okay, uh, and I look up, right? Okay. Yeah. And above me is a 3D space. No, 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 you're not, you're not looking into three-dimensional space. You're not looking into three-dimensional space. Okay, so we have... Oh, okay. Oh, I see, I see, I see, I see. Okay. So you're looking You're looking along the plane, uh, the, along the 2D plane. You're at the bottom of a page and you're looking towards the top of the page. Uh, bottom page, you're looking... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the sphere is coming towards the plane. And yeah. then... Oh, yeah, yeah. The, there is a dot in the middle of the page. Yeah. And then as the sphere moves through, the it, it becomes a little bit of a line. No. Nope. No, it does. How, it doesn't become a line. How how it becomes, can, it becomes a circle? How do you how do you tell it's a circle? Oh yeah, I mean, like from your point of view, you, you can't tell that it's a circle. That's that's not relevant though. Oh okay, all right, okay. Oh yeah, if it, it is a circle. It no, yeah, it is a circle. It is inscribed. It's, it's intersecting like a circle on. Oh the yeah, 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 yeah. Space, yeah. If you're looking at it, see, I was trying to get my head around it as me being in the plane. Like I get that if I'm standing outside the plane, that a three D sphere passing through a plane is just a, a circle. Like I get yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, but like it's it's making a it's making a or it's, it's making it's making a circle on the page, but like the same way we we have like we can't we just see a circle, but we're able to tell that it's a sphere. Like when we look at a ball, we can't see exactly all around it. We just it's a circular shape, but we know that it's a ball. I mean, you guys, we've got binocular vision or whatever, but still, right? Yeah, yeah. I I can't extrapolate that to four dimensions. No, we, you don't have to. You just have to think of it in three dimensions. A ball. A four-dimensional shape getting falling through a three-dimensional plane would be like a, a, a ball getting bigger and then getting smaller and then disappearing. If you say so, man. <laughs> you just, you just, you just—it's just the same thing, just one extra dimension. 
like my head is going okay I, in my in my head i have a picture of this 2d plane yeah and the sphere i, I i'm passing through it okay yeah and now i am trying in my brain to extrapolate that to a 3d space with a 4d thing coming through it right and i'm just all i do is imagine what i would perceive which would just be a ball getting bigger and smaller yeah but the okay fair enough but that's kind yeah. of uh, it's a tiny bit meaningless like 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 i've seen balls get bigger and smaller like you know if someone kicks a ball at you they get bigger and smaller but that doesn't mean i have some sort of insight into 4d space like that it's it's not it's not something that i can like step outside of and be able to rationalize no but I, that's that's a beginning step to making sense of it in my oh mind. Yeah, yeah yeah but the, the point i'm trying to make way back uh like 15 minutes ago <laughs> is that um uh we will never be able to do that like it's where our brains aren't geared towards that I'm sure some mathematicians can. I I don't know. I'd like to hear from a mathematician if they actually think properly in 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 4D and not think in 4D in terms of the equations they use to work in 4D. Because I can think in four dimensional space if I use uh, equations that function in four dimensional space. Yeah, if you four four variables in algebra. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you're suddenly in four D space. That, that's that's easy. But to like step outside of it and conceptualize it, I don't think people can do it. Like, I don't think you can get like the idea of like the tesseract. You know, the tesseract. Yeah. If you watch animations of that, there's like like this. If you when you spin it around, there's like this folding in and out of itself. Like that, I just can't comprehend how a solid object could do that because we don't live in four D space, and I will never be able to do that, which is a great shame. Hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's hard. I don't I don't think it's it's entirely impossible though. I, I'm sure I'm sure it's it's there's some way to to visualize it. Interesting point though on this, and we really we really have to we really have to move on after this. Is that only in three D space can one have a solar system formed from a molecular cloud. Okay. Which I, I, when I found that, I thought that was really cool. Like, no other, no other end dimensions can you have something that goes from a 3D sphere, like the molecular cloud, to a 2D plane. That can't happen in other dimensions. So, like, in a 4D space, if you had a 4D cloud, it will always remain at least three-dimensional and never flatten down to two dimensions. Oh yeah, it might always go down to one dimension less. Uh, yeah, I don't know if the rule is uh, n minus one, but something like that. Yeah, okay. which I thought was great. So, like, well, yeah, that's I can I can accept that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's fact. Like, so I mean, like, you have to accept it. But uh, but I always thought that was really cool. Like that our our little happenstance here is is so uniquely sort of um, defined in such a way that it gives rise to us. Uh, I think it's really cool. I don't. Yeah, go on, go on, tell me about it. No, it's the, it's just the anthropic principle. It's it's like a puddle saying, "Isn't it convenient that this hole I'm in is the exact same shape as me?" Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, we're we're only going to be in a in a an existence that allows us to exist. I know, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I still think it's cool that <laughs> that that is what allows us to exist. Those are the parameters. I think that's really cool. Mm. <laughs> Not a disagree. Not a disagree with each other. It doesn't move me, I'm afraid. No, I. I sorry, we are going to have to lock this down fairly quick, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I want to say one last thing. It just popped into my head as well about the the world building atomic structures. And um, mm-hmm. there's an interesting idea. I don't understand it at all. Okay, but there's an interesting idea on the Atomic Rockets website, uh, or at okay. least they they link to it. I'll, I'll put Good it in name. the show notes uh, about a setting. That is all built around a Sierpinski's triangle. 
Oh, you linked me to this and I haven't read it yet. Yeah, do you know what the what this triangle is? Yeah, it's the it's the fractal triangle thing. It's the fractal triangle. Anyone who knows Flyheart's videos will know that she has a great affinity for this triangle. Uh, again, show notes, I'll put links in it. And it's it's like, yeah, it's a periodic table based around Serpinski's triangle and the whole way the universe works is, I think, like, worlds are embedded on planes within Serpinski's triangle. It's just... It, it's like mind-boggling, mind-boggling. Cool. I'll have to. I'll have to look that up. I think you put that in the show notes. I will put that in the show notes. I think that's something that people should read if you're in any way interested in all this. I'm not even going to attempt to try and justify the decisions the creator of this has made because mm-hmm. uh, this is way over my head. But I think like it's kind of cool because he or she takes this structure that we know and plays with it in this sense kind of like uh your favorite world builder over here took the idea of a knot uh, <laughs> and imposed it on my setting to bring an overall aesthetic unification uh some would say brilliant <laughs> others might say useless i leave it up i don't to think you anyone has said useless edgar no one said useless anyhow will we uh will we shut it down there i think i think we'll, we'll call it there shall we okay now i have to go to work in like half an hour. Okay. So I feel like the green room is probably not going to happen this month. Okay. Well, I mean, I'll give you some more time to furnish it up a bit, a bit more, make it real special. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, there should be significant improvements when we come here next month. Brilliant. So anyhow, uh, I will see you soon, Bill. Absolutely. And, and listeners, get involved in discussions. Let me know what you think about my idea and feel free to shoot it down. Like any sort of criticism is good criticism. All right, Bill, I will talk to you very soon, all right? Catch you soon, man. All right, all the best, man. Edgar out. Edgar out. Edgar, Edgar, okay, I'm saying this off the record. Okay, so is this something I have to cut from the podcast? This is something you have to cut from the podcast. Okay, go for it.